Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go down mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. So I want um, to welcome and introduce um, one of my very best friends, uh, Joshua Burdett. Uh, he came and helped uh, cook. He's been a pastor in Chicago, Tulsa, Santa Barbara, and Tulsa, and Tulsa, and Tulsa. And so um, we have been friends um, since uh, uh, for about just over a decade now. We met in St. Louis, um, and uh, um, he gets to come and share and uh, preach this morning. Uh, so please welcome Joshua. Thank you guys for having me. I, this is my first time at the table, but I, as well as Mark, love to eat and love to cook and feast, and so, am I doing this the right way? The wrong way. Right way. Okay. Got it. Um, I love to, to eat and cook and feast, and so a church called The Table is like the perfect place for me to be, a church focused on hospitality and grace and food and Fellowship. Um, like Mark said, my name is Joshua. I, um, one of the greatest gifts in life is to have a friend. And so Mark Grappengator has been one of the greatest gifts to me um, from God in my life. Because we, as he said, we've been friends for about 10 years. And the irony, though, is that we've never really lived in the same place at the same time. So a friend far away um, is, is still a friend. So, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. And also just to give you a little bit about me, um, I've been a pastor for over a decade. I'm now a trauma-informed counselor working from Tulsa, seeing clients everywhere, all over the country. And um, I'm also a widower and a single parent. And um, that's another reason why I'm glad to be here today because I get a break from my kids. Um, and I get to sound a little more altruistic doing it to, to help Mark out. Um, but... Today we're looking at this psalm that was just read, Psalm 42. 
And, um, and I say that part of my introduction uh, because this is a psalm of grief, and I, I stand before you as one who has suffered and one who knows grief and sorrow. And um, you may not hear about that much in this sermon, but I just want you to know that, that this is, this is part of my story, and this is a scripture that has, been, uh, has brought much comfort to me over the years. So let me, um, let me pray just as we get started one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word spoken to us, and we pray that the words of my mouth here together and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts together will be pleasing to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as Mark said earlier, psalms are, um, psalms are the gymnasium of the soul. Another uh, a theologian named John Calvin said that in the, the psalms are even the mirror of the soul. We see our emotional life our interior world on the pages of the psalm. And if you're like me, that can be a little bit scary because I didn't grow up in a place where I learned how to have emotions, name emotions, process, communicate them. Um, I used to have a far side comic hanging, hanging in my office um, where a father was pointing to a shed in the backyard that was chained and locked. And he said, son, if um, this is where we keep our feelings. If you have one, bring it out here and lock it up. Um, that was kind of the way I was taught to, um, to treat emotions. And, and yet, what we see in Scripture is that God allows us to bring all of our emotions, not just the joy, not just the thanksgiving, but all of our emotional life to Him. And there's room for even our sorrow at His table. And um, one of the ways I love hearing it put is that our emotions are, um, should be treated like children on a road trip. You don't let them drive, but you don't put them in the trunk either. They should be tended to, cared for, listened to, and that's what we see in the Psalms. We see all of these emotions coming up from the heart to the Lord in prayer and to one another. And the vast majority of these prayers are songs of what we might call grief, sorrow, complaint. Um, and if you're like me, maybe you heard growing up, well, don't complain. And if that's what you heard, you may walk through life thinking, well, I don't want to complain. I shouldn't bring this to, to anyone else. I shouldn't talk about my troubles. And um, the good news is that's not what God says to our grief. He does not say, stop complaining. He says, I want to hear it because the vast majority of the psalm, the biggest section of psalms in the Bible are what we would call lament. They're complaints to God. And I don't think we know what to do with that because in our culture, we often don't have room for grief. We don't have room for suffering. We don't talk about it. We don't know what to do with it. And the question today is, what do you do with your grief? This psalm doesn't answer the question of why grief or why sorrow, why suffering, or, or why am I um, at the end of my rope? But this psalm does tell us what to do with it. And in our culture, I think we typically do one of three things with suffering. First off, we try to avoid it. There, there's a lie that we believe in America that, that goes something like this. If you make the right decisions, if you avoid the, the wrong place at the wrong time, if you wake up at 4 a.m. every day and eat your, um, you know, omega-3s, if, if you do the right things, you can avoid suffering. You can walk through life um, and, and kind of just make your way around it. And the backside of that is if you are suffering, often what we believe is that you probably did something to deserve it or you probably didn't do something to avoid it, and I'm going to give you a little piece of advice. 
while you're suffering. I'm going to tell you how to fix it next time. That's the way we typically deal with suffering in our culture. Another way we deal with it, though, is that we, we move away from it. We shy away from suffering. We don't like to make eye contact with the guy who's panhandling on the corner. We don't like to look at suffering. We, we try to just move away from it. We do this both in, in literal ways and avoiding and, and walking away from those who are suffering, but we also do it in internal ways. We run away from our own suffering. Um, I think of the show Mad Men, if you're a fan of that show years ago. The, the hero of the story, Dan Dra- Don Draper, he was the anti-hero, this 20th century man who was successful and strong and creative, and, and he had spent his entire life running from who he was. And in one, one scene with a coworker who's in desperate situation, um, he says to her, get out of here and move on. It never happened. It will shock you how much this never happened. Doesn't that sound like the way we kind of treat suffering in America? Just move on. Pretend it didn't happen. Run away from it. It'll shock you how much it didn't happen. Another way I think we, we deal with suffering is we try to go around it. And if I can just sort of find something to take my attention away from the pain, if I can find something to numb, to medicate the pain, then, then maybe I can just dodge it. Maybe I can go around it. Maybe I can live my life around all this pain and suffering, but in a way that it doesn't actually get to my heart and hurt my feelings. And what we find in the scriptures is, is, is the reality that we all live in a world that is broken and touched by the fall, which means that we cannot go around it, away from it, or avoid suffering in our lives. We will all go through it, all of us. And in life, most people cannot bear um, all the ways that we suffer. They cannot bear to think about the ways that we suffer in this world. But when you come to the scriptures, you see an honest reality of our lives that we do suffer in ways um, that are deep and painful. And so this psalm then tells us um, what to do with that. But I want to just, you know, I've, I've sort of told us that our culture doesn't know what to do with suffering, but I want to ask the question, does the Christian church in America know what to do with suffering? Is the Christian church in America a place that you can take your grief? Um, I read this satirical article, uh, news article, a few years ago. It said, report every single person at church doing, quote, fine. It's really quite spectacular, the pastor told reporters Tuesday. You would think, given the state of our fallen world, that at least one person would be going through a crisis or battling some kind of indwelling sin that they need help with. But not at this church. We're all doing fine, it seems. Praise the Lord. We, we often find that the church is not a place to take our grief um, sometimes the church can be the best place to hide from grief and suffering. Sometimes the church can be the best place to put on a mask and uh, pretend that we're fine. Um, a Christian counselor named Dan Allender put it this way. He said, Christians are particularly adept at numbing themselves against painful emotions. After all, we reason, we should be joyful because we know that God is in control. Negative emotions such as fear, anger, or depression are stigmatized as inappropriate because God is love and grants us peace. Do you relate to that? Do you, have you ever experienced that sometimes the church is the last place you want to bring your grief? I was at a conference once. Um, some of you may know a pastor named Matt Chandler. And I was at a pastor's conference that he was speaking at. And in that sermon or in that talk, 
he said, uh, I want every, he did, he did kind of like the, the Baptist thing, every head bowed, every eye closed. And he said, I want you to raise your hand if you're suffering, if you feel distant from God, if you feel like you're, you can't hear God, you don't see him at work in your life, and you want to see him at work in your life, if you feel dry spiritually, if you are sad, or if you're going through a dark time in your life, I want you to raise your hand. And so I thought, that, that sounds like me. I'm, I'd like to see more of God at work in my life, and I feel pretty dry spiritually. And I know all my colleagues are in the same boat as me, and so I, I raised my hand. And then he said, now I want you to trust me and stand up. And I don't really like to do the whole like stand up thing, but I, he saw my hand. I knew I had to stand up. And I'm thinking, there's like 500 pastors here, ministry staff, church you know, workers. Um, surely I won't be the only one. And yet, when I opened my eyes and stood up, I looked around, and I was the only person standing in a room of about 500 pastors and church staff members. And I, I tell you that story not to celebrate my own authenticity, but to tell you that even pastors wonder, is the church a place to bring my grief? And in this psalm, we see that this psalmist, we don't know the name of the psalm, psalmist, but we know that this person brought his words to God, and now this psalm is God's word to us, and he wants us to know that the church is a place to bring your grief. And he really tells us, like, two things to do with, with our sorrow and with our grief in this passage. He tells us that we must talk to ourselves, and he also tells us that we must talk to God. And you might think, okay, we must talk to ourselves, like that's a, that's a church thing to say, or that's a corny preacher thing to memorize something, but, you know, we all talk to ourselves all the time, don't we? When you um, are late to drop your kids off for something, and you're thinking, I should have left early, I should have avoided this, I should have known. What are you saying to yourself? There's probably a phrase that comes up, oh, I'm, I'm an idiot, or I'm lazy. You're talking to yourself. When you get caught in a, in a mistake at work, what are you telling yourself? Oh, I'm not good enough. You're talking to yourself. We, we do this all the time, and as a counselor, I get to hear my clients tell me about the, the things they say to themselves. And this psalmist says, let's bring some truth into that dialogue. Let's, let's talk to ourselves. And so what we see in this passage is this dialogue of, of a man with his soul saying, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? He's talking to himself. He's trying to fight and, and remind himself of what's true. And so what does he say? As we look through this, um, we see that he, he gives out all of these like symptoms of what, you know, of, of what we might call sorrow. If you, you look at it, he says, um, I have a wound in my bones. I ha- my, my tears have been my food day and night in verse 3. He says that, that he has insomnia. He can't sleep at night. He has a loss of appetite. And if this sounds like a commercial for Wellbutrin, it's because th- these are the symptoms of depression, and, and God is saying that, that the song, I want to hear the songs of the depressed. I want to hear the prayers of the depressed. Come and bring that to me. And this psalmist is saying, I am in a dark place. You know, sometimes even we, we think that, well, I want to go to Scripture and be cheered up. 
Um, but there's comfort in hearing the song of the depressed. Um, he says that, you know, Mount Mizar, and you, you notice these like Hebrew places, um, Mount Mizar and Hermon, and you might think, oh, those must be places where the Lord was at work, that some like victorious battle. But if you look it up and you, and you do the, you know, study the history, you'll find these are not places of, of God's victory. Mount um, Mizar is the furthest place that you can get in Israel from the temple. See, sometimes we even come to this psalm and we bring that avoiding suffering and we think, as the deer pants for streams of water, oh, he must really want, um, must be in love with God. And if you look up this psalm on YouTube, which I did to prepare, prepare for the sermon, one of the things you'll see, the top hit is, um, is a video of the song, As the Deer Pants for Streams of Water, and there's like a picture of Bambi, this little doe, by a stream, it's really tranquil, and it says, the most heartwarming edition of As the Deer Pants for Stream of Water. And we think, oh, this is like a comforting image. This is not a comforting image. The psalmist is saying, I'm like a deer that's so dehydrated. I'm in a wild desert place. There's no water to be found. The deer's ribs are showing. The tongue is hanging out of its mouth. It's panting, desperately searching. If I don't get any water, I'm going to die. And this man is saying, I'm, I'm such at my ends, at, at my ribs end. I'm... I, I can't find God anywhere. It's like I'm not even in the same country with him. I don't see him in my life. I don't see him at work. I can't find him. I'm seeking for his presence, and he's not there. And I know that I need God. Where is he? And, and sometimes I think we, we want to hear that, um, or sometimes we hear that if you have enough faith, then um, you'll be able to experience peace and joy in God's presence in the midst of life suffering. And there's some truth to that. But it does not deny how much suffering hurts and how dark it can be. And, and this psalmist is actually expressing this to God in a way of saying, I, I want to believe that you're here. I want to believe that you're listening and that you're at work, but I just don't see you anywhere. And so um, the first thing we see the psalmist doing as he, as he talks to himself is that he names his pain. It's the first thing we have to do. It, sometimes it's like that's all we can do. But often we don't even do that. Remember, we avoid it. We go around it. But, but this psalmist says, I'm going to tell God where it hurts. I'm going to tell God. I'm going to complain. I'm going to vent. I'm going to lament to him, and I'm going to talk to myself, and I'm going to name how bad it feels right now. This is not the way I wanted my life to be, and it hurts. Um, but another thing that he does is he reasons with his soul. He doesn't just talk to himself, and he doesn't just listen to himself. Remember, the, the emotions are not in the, in the driver's seat either. He says, um, I'm going to reason with my soul. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Over and over, he tells himself that, asks himself that question. He's not just reacting to his emotions, he's processing them. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why, why do I feel that way? Sometimes we, we have a lot of reasons to feel sad. We have a lot of reasons to feel that our, our desires are unmet. Um, but sometimes we don't even have a reason. And we have to ask, why am I feeling this way? Why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? Why am I sad? He's trying to understand his own soul and, and tell him, um, tell his soul reasons 
to trust in God. He says, these things I remember. In verse 4, as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He's calling his soul to remember the redemption of the Lord, which means it's, it's a covenantal word. It's a relational word. He's saying, Lord, you were faithful in the past. Will you be faithful again? And he's telling his soul, the Lord was faithful in the past. He will be faithful again. He's reminding himself what is true. He's pleading with his soul to remember that, that God is not silent, even though he's not speaking now. He's not silent. He's remembering the times when, he's, when he did feel close to God. But then what happens in verse 5? My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. See, he's reminding himself is what's true, but it doesn't tell us in the next verse that then all the sorrow went away and he felt better. The sorrow was still there. His soul was still downcast. But he's weaving the truth in and out of his depression and grief and sadness. And we have to be realistic. Sometimes we can do the right things and still feel bad. We can still feel, we can remember the right truths. We can quote the right verses and still feel sad. And some of us have, have a lifelong battle with depression. And, um, and so this is not the cure to depression. It's just what to do with it, what to do in the midst of it. We preach the gospel, as some have said, to ourselves and um, the third thing that we do that we see the psalmist doing when he talks to himself is that he's actually stirring hope. When he's preaching the gospel to himself, he keeps saying over and over again, hope in God for I shall again praise him. See, he's saying, right now I'm having a hard time praising God, but someday I will. Someday I'll praise him again. Someday I, things will be right again. And he's, put, he's telling his soul, put your hope in God. When we're in the dark places, we need hope. Hope is oxygen, and yet hope is a dangerous thing. Hope is a hard thing to cultivate in yourself. And so we, we don't just need to speak to ourselves. We actually need other people. We need other people to help us, to help cultivate hope. And you might be thinking, okay, where is that in the psalm? I don't see him talking to any other people. It's just a man and his soul and God. And that's how we typically think of handling our crises and our suffering. Let me just figure it out with God, and I'm going to pray, and, and that's going to be it. But let me remind you of the um, very first line on your page there. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. See, this psalm is not written for, for us to use by ourselves. This psalm was written to use in worship, to pour out the, the song of the depressed in congregation, in a church community, um, in, in worship with other people. And so this is not a private prayer, but a public prayer. And we need other people, too. We need to tell our sorrows to other people. They need to know that we're suffering, and we need them to cultivate hope. So that's your bonus point in this sermon. It's not a two-point sermon. Like I said, there's a bonus point here in the middle that we don't just talk to ourselves, we talk to others. And you might wonder, what do I say? Well, you name. You name your troubles. You tell people that it hurts. And that is a vulnerable thing to do. Um, that's a hard thing to do. Um, but imagine this. 
Imagine if the table was a place where people knew they could bring their grief. Imagine if the table was a place where people knew that they could pause when someone said, how are you? And then tell them, tell you the truth. Imagine if you look out at all your neighbors and, and your coworkers and all of the, the burdens that they're carrying, the, the miscarriages, the, the prayers that we spoke of today, of the grieving, the sick, those who are, are seeing their marriages in, those who are saying, this is not the way I wanted life to turn out. Where do they take their grief? Come and bring them to the table. Tell them, I found a place where you can take your grief. You can bring it to the table, to this church, where um, they will listen to you. And so you might be thinking, well, what do I say when they come? What do I say to the grieving? Um, I think of Jeff Tweedy from Wilco's words, there's nothing more important than to know that someone's listening. You listen. Just like God does in this psalm. God listens. He's not inactive in this psalm. He is listening to the psalmist, bring these words to him. And so we listen to other people. We don't fix it unless they ask. We just say, I'm sorry, that is not the way it's supposed to be. You can be a church where people know that it's okay to bring their grief. There's a a book called How to Stay Married by the humorist uh, Harrison Scott Key. He's a professor at the Savannah College of Art and Design. And he, it's a weird thing for a humorist to write about, but he wrote a book about his wife having an affair and his marriage almost ending and then staying married. It's called How to Stay Married. And, um, and in that book, he tells the story of at his, at his worst moment when he didn't know if his wife was going to come home or not, um, he, he found a little church of people who um, actually loved him and brought him beer and food when he needed it, and um, let him wear a bathing suit to church, because that's, I don't know, he wore a bathing suit to church for some reason. They didn't judge him for that either, and he said this, he said, it was the kind of church where you could share your sin with everybody, and they would just love you harder and hold you, a, hand you a beer. Um, don't you want to be a part of a church like that, where you can bring your sin, and I would add your sorrow and your suffering and your shame and they would love you harder, where they thought it was more important for you to be known than for you to hide, and they would hand you a beer, which is, you know, what we all need when we're in a dark place. We need some, some tangible token of love from someone. Um, so we listen. We listen to our neighbor's burdens until they say, what do I do? And then you say, let, let me pray for you. Let me bring this to the Lord in prayer. You may be thinking, well, I, I would love to have friends like that. I would love to have a place to, to share and to talk not just to myself but to other people. Um, but most importantly, we see in this psalm that we must talk to God. And that's, I think that is the best news in this psalm is that God is listening. Um, this is the thing that's so hard to do, which again is why we need other people even praying for us because there's times when you say, I don't think I got it in me today to pray. And the person beside you says, all right, I'll pray for you today. I'll pray for both of us. I don't got it in me to hope today. And the person beside you says, okay, I'll hope for both of us. I don't got it in me to believe today. Okay, I'll believe for both of us. And we can do that because we know that God wants us to bring our suffering to him. There's room at his table for our grief 
that he's not immune to our suffering. He doesn't tell us to get over it, stop complaining. Um, he doesn't say, well, you should have done things differently. It's compassion on the suffering, compassion on the depressed, on the downtrodden. This is one of the most consistent things about God throughout Scripture. Is he listens. He listens to our prayers. He listens to our grief. And sometimes that listening sounds like silence, but it's God listening. The psalmist says in verse 8 and 9, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. Isn't that beautiful? When you can't pray, even God is singing over you. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He's bringing it to God. He's bringing his complaints to God. And that's one of the things, if, if we lose our faith, we have no one to shake our fist to, except for the void of the universe. But even a psalm like this, a song of sorrow, is a psalm and a song of faith. Because what do you have to believe about God to utter these words? You have to believe that he's listening. You have to believe that he is compassionate. You have to believe that he wants to hear about all the things in your life that are causing you pain. So we pray our sorrows to a God who wants to hear it. Um, Eugene Peterson was a pastor and a writer, and he said that in, in the Psalms we see that God is the type of God who is eminently concerned with the distress of his creatures. He wants to hear it. He doesn't just want to hear about the good days. He wants to hear about the bad days. And sometimes the face of faith is a face that is wet and salty with tears, that is frowning, that is doubting, that is pleading with God, God, I do not see you. Please show up in my life. That is a faithful prayer. And here's the thing about God. It's not just that he wants to hear your suffering. He's also, and this is the crazy thing, he's a God who knows suffering. He... Um, he does not speak as one who is far off or removed, but he's one who is who's called in Scripture the man of sorrows. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces because the culture all around him shunned the suffering as well. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's the God we have, one who knows suffering, one who knows what it feels like to be sad, to be depressed, to be abandoned, to be lonely. On the last night before he died, Jesus said, My soul is very sorrowful, even into, unto death. Remain here and watch with me. Even Jesus, in his humanity, needed his friends to be with him at his time of sorrow. And on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he understands our sorrow. He understands our suffering. And whatever reason he allows it, we don't quite know, but it can't be that he doesn't care because he also has suffered like us. And he cares for us. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes when we bring our sorrow to God and our grief to God, something within us changes and hope begins to stir and I want to end with this quote from The Last Battle. As a Presbyterian minister, you have to quote C.S. Lewis once per sermon um, in the Chronicles of Narnia account, even though it's a children's book. 
In this story, there's a, a, a character named Prince Tyrion who is at the end of his rope. He's in a dark place. His world has been turned upside down. He knows this is not the life I wanted for myself. He's in the, a dark forest tied to a tree by his enemies waiting to die. And he calls out in what you might could, be, you might could call a prayer of sorrow and complaint and help. Because he speaks to the creator of Narnia, a lion named Aslan. And he calls out, Aslan, 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 come and help us now. But the darkness and the cold and the quietness went on just the same. Let me be killed, cried the king. I ask nothing for myself, but come and save all Narnia. And still there was no change in the night or the wood, but there began to be a kind of change inside Tyrion. Without knowing why, he began to feel a faint hope. Why, my soul, are you, dis, are you cast down within me? Put your hope in God. Sometimes when we call out to him, he delivers us from our circumstances. And sometimes our circumstances remain the same, but something within us changes. And we experience hope, which gets to sit at the table with sorrow together among the faithful in the church of God, because we know that someday he will wipe away every tear and he will swallow up death forever and we will feast at the supper of the lamb and there will be nothing to make us afraid and nothing accursed in the new world that he brings. That's our hope and that's what we celebrate today at this table and that's what we're going to put our hearts on as we contemplate and do exactly what the psalmist did as we spend a, a moment in um, contemplation and prayer, bringing our pain, naming it to God, asking him for help, and asking him to stir hope within us. Amen.